This Week in Agriculture, a production of the Red River Farm Network. With a look at markets, I'm Randy Conan. Grain market put in a volatile week, starting the week higher, ending the week lower, and actually close to unchanged for the week. U.S. Commodities President Don Rose says traders were taking risk premium out of the grains on Friday. It seemed like we had the uh, weather premium dialed in for, uh, uh, for the uh, problems that going forward and uh, for the Ukraine war, and then weather improved as we went through the week, that high-pressure system moving back down to the uh, south-southwest, and the war seemed like maybe it was on hold again in the uh, Black Sea. So uh, risk-off uh, technical selling to end of the week, and uh, that kind of drove us into some lows for the week. Flash soybean sales all week long supported the soybean market. The rest of the grains traded uh, both sides. We did end the day on Friday much lower as well. Van On Company market analyst Christy Van On says demand is being watched closely. Demand is such a key feature, and if we can start to see this demand pick up for soybeans, we don't have a whole lot of room, wiggle room, as far as it goes. So I think you're starting to put that premium, but when you have wheat lower and corn lower, it's hard for soybeans to go at it alone. And so they need a friend right now. Uh, we really have been stuck in this 14 to 14, like 28, 14, 30 range uh, in, the co- in the soybean market. And we just seem to not be able to really break out of it whatsoever. And I think that's going to stick for a while until we get some sort of additional information or change of pace or continued export sales. CHS hedging market analyst Steve Wagner said grain traders took profits and chased headlines. Exactly right, chasing headlines. It's it's uh, what's the latest thing that got bombed, and and when the Danube facility got bombed, it it got the market's attention. It it makes it a little bit more uh, difficult from a lot of different perspectives, and I think uh, that expectation that. You know, oh, it'll it'll go back to normal soon. Uh, kind of went out the window. North Star Commodity Chief Analyst Mark Schultz says the livestock market saw more of a corrective type move. One thing always to keep in mind: we haven't seen much on cash trade. The little bit that we did see yesterday was about 189 to 190 in the north. That was just a few loads. But when you look at that, then you you look at the August futures, which are trading at 170. Let's call it 179. You're trading. $10 under uh, the cash market. So if the cash does indeed stay steady firmer this week, you're likely to keep the futures, pull them higher here for the short term. Hog markets, kind of the same way. You had a big sell-off yesterday. Bolt Marketing market analyst Dwayne Bussey called that livestock market two-sided. Yeah, a little bit of red there on the live cattle situation this morning. It probably still feeding off of last week's key reversal on the chart, but look for the cattle market to find some support pretty soon. You know, cash cattle were higher last week. Box beef was actually higher yesterday. We might just be correcting and pulling back on a nice upward trending market longer term. Agrisampo North America market analyst Sterling Smith said the cattle market just mixed. We're kind of stuck in no man's land here. Packer margins are not very good. They're, they're noticeably negative. Cutouts have come down, and we're having right around $3 a pound for choice. We need to see those go up, and that's what's going to be able to lift the futures. And the Packers are going to be forced to pay up, but somewhere along the line they're going to have to tighten slaughter. So right now we're kind of stuck in a limbo situation, but cattle supplies and beef supplies are not going to improve, and the economic data from today points to more likely better consumption. And that's a look at markets. This Week in Agriculture, I'm Randy Conan.
The North Dakota Mill has been producing northern-grown spring wheat and durum flour since 1922. The mill now adds value to more than 30 million bushels per year. North Dakota Mill employees take pride in the highest quality spring wheat and durum wheat products for the baking and pasta industries. Look for Dakota-made flour in 5, 10, and 25-pound packages, as well as pancake and bread machine mixes. Spring wheat and durum flour, superior quality, is what separates the North Dakota Mill from the competition. Why do you listen? I listen to radio to stay up on news, weather, current events around the local community. It keeps me up to date with everything going on in the world. It kind of just takes my mind off of the drive, getting some relevant information that's in time. It's always nice to know what's going on. Okay, what can I do? Well, I'll listen to the what's coming up and you yeah, can plan your day. Why do you listen? Go to whyilisten.com, tell us why you listen, and you have a chance to win $500. Visit whyilisten.com today. With a look at farm news this week in agriculture, I'm Randy Conan. Environmental Protection Agency will release its final herbicide strategy by the end of 2024. EPA must submit a draft proposal for public comment by the end of this month. The effort is part of a settlement agreement between the agency and the Center for Biological Diversity. That activist group sued EPA, claiming it failed to consider the impact of nearly 400 pesticides on endangered species. New Jersey Senator Cory Booker and Oregon Representative Andrea uh, Salinas have introduced legislation that would gut cr the crop insurance program. The bill seeks a renegotiation of the standard reinsurance agreement, so crop insurance is focused on farms of 180 acres or less. The proposal also calls for the public reporting of each farmer's crop insurance payments. And as that farm bill debate ramps up, uh, the National Confectioners Association has renewed its criticism of U.S. sugar policy. Candy makers claim tight sugar supplies are pushing up their costs. The American Sugar Alliance, which represents U.S. sugar beet and sugar cane industries, said the no-cost sugar program is not to blame. American Sugar Beet Growers Association Executive Vice President Luther Marquardt says U.S. imports about 30% of the sugar consumed in this country. As we walk through this farm bill, we're saying, look, you know, we're already the third largest importer of sugar in the world. About 30% of what we consume here, we're already importing. And those foreign suppliers aren't always reliable. Uh, big countries like Brazil and India have ethanol programs where they're diverting sugar into, into ethanol and they have to meet those market needs also. So sometimes the, the, the price of uh, global price of oil will drive how much sugar is being diverted to ethanol in both Brazil and, and India. Interest rates have been steadily increasing over the year as the Federal Reserve fights to get a handle on the U.S. economy. At this week's AgViews Live conference, Virginia Tech Professor Emeritus Dr. David Cole says farmers and ranchers have not felt the full impact of the interest rate hikes as of yet. Navigating these interest rates is going to be very critical for the next two or three years. We have seen, you know, the fastest rise in interest rates since the 1980s, and it's up 5%, but we haven't felt the impact because uh, oftentimes we haven't paid down the operating loans. We've got uh, some loans that are with farms that are on a reset. In other words, they'll be reset in another couple of years. I think interest rates will probably go up one or two more times this year, and then I think they'll take a pause. However, there are certain people that would like to see the 
central bank interest rates go to 7%, and then that would mean prime rate go to 10%. That would be a psychological barrier. Cole says inflation, economic growth, and unemployment are all factors to consider before interest rates can decline. Two amendments dealing with Chinese ownership of U.S. farmland and the American supply chain were included in the National Defense Authorization Bill. South Dakota Senator Mike Rounds amendment will prevent ag investments by people and businesses from countries seen as adversaries. That list includes China, Russia, Iran, and North Korea. The proposed Fufang corn processing plant at Grand Forks inspired that legislation. And the new soybean crush facility at Spiritwood, North Dakota, is scheduled to begin operation during the fourth quarter. Archer Daniels Midland made the announcement when it released its quarterly financial report. The facility is a joint venture between ADM and Marathon Oil and will have a daily crush capacity of 1.5 million tons. ADM also reported operating profits of $1.5 billion for the second quarter, down from $1.8 billion during the same quarter last year. That's a look at farm news this week in agriculture. I'm Randy Conan. We want to take a moment to recognize the hard work and dedication of our local farmers. Every day they embrace the challenges and rewards of this lifestyle. We appreciate their efforts and at Wilbur Ellis we're proud to support them as their trusted partner. It's an honor to be part of their journey and provide them with the necessary tools to thrive and succeed. We believe that together we can build a prosperous future in agriculture. We're better together. That's the power of we. Visit WilburEllisAgribusiness.com or reach out to the Graham Forks Wilbur Ellis team today. Farm Fest, three big days with more than 500 exhibitors, political forums, and more, all at the Guilfoyle Estates near Redwood Falls, Minnesota. This is Red River Farm Network farm broadcaster Don Wick. Listen for coverage from Farm Fest, sponsored by Ag Country Farm Credit Services, the Minnesota Farmers Union, and Minnesota Soybean Research and Promotion Council. You'll find our coverage on air and online. It's the Red River Farm Network. We're reporting agriculture's business. With a look at weather this week in agriculture, I'm Sierra Doctor on the Red River Farm Network. Farming near Beltrami, Minnesota, Mike Skaug says the crops are coming along well, but that corn looks really promising so far this year. We're pretty pleased with the crop. Um, you know, the corn is, is uh, really doing well. Um, I'd say that's uh, probably our lead crop this year as far as, uh, you know, potential. Um, we had wheat, uh, we have wheat that we seeded prior to the spring rain. I mean, it's okay, really. It got hit pretty hard with that high temperatures in June, so it's shorter than it should be, but, you know, the heads might be okay if uh, if things can fill out. And uh, soybeans are, are starting to shoot up some more now, so, you know, we're pretty pleased about that. Gaug says he feels fortunate with rainfalls this season. High temps this week could change things quickly. There's been big swings. And, you know, there's some places that haven't had any rain at all. And, my goodness, uh, north and south of us. So, you know, I really feel for that. I've been in that position before, and that's uh, pretty stressful. We've had some not overly abundant rains, but uh, um, some timely small rains. So that's helped, but, you know, just kind of on a thread. NDSU Extension Small Grain Specialist Claire Keene says spring wheat conditions depend on location across the state. Keene expects harvest to really start in two to three weeks. It is. Uh, we've started swathing some winter wheat, and I think other winter wheat fields will get harvested pretty soon. The early hot weather in May and June really pushed that crop. So I think that harvest will start, if not this week, uh, next week for sure, but we're 
predicted to be very hot this week, unfortunately. So I think winter wheat harvest, cereal rye is upon us. Uh, but the spring wheat is still a few weeks out, um, and for some later planted fields, even maybe a little bit longer than that. I do think somewhere in the three-week neighborhood, so we're probably looking at kind of mid to late August, maybe early September for a lot of our spring wheat. South Dakota State University Extension agronomist Jonathan Kleinjohn says winter wheat harvest is getting closer to wrapping up in the state. So winter wheat harvest has started in the south, uh, southern part of the state. It's probably nearing completion. And I've heard mixed reports, uh, some poor yields and, and some pretty good yields. Uh, you know, to be expected, I thought yields would be poor because we got planted pretty late last fall. Well, I shouldn't say we got planted late. We just didn't have much moisture, and it didn't germinate until later. Uh, but I just talked to somebody from Draper this morning, and he had some winter wheat that he planted on November 1st, or it emerged on November 1st, I should say, and uh, it's still doing 70 bushels an acre, which is really surprising to me. So um, some good surprises, and then, uh, like I said, we've had some kind of some poor reports too, I'd say, kind of in the Oneida Pier area. Farmers are just dipping their toes into the spring wheat harvest now. Well, spring wheat, we haven't really had much of a test yet. We're just kind of getting going. I believe that, that email I forwarded yesterday, he mentioned just a little bit about it. Um, we did take a field out here in eastern South Dakota. That's the first one I've known about here, and it was doing better than expected. I'd say 60 bushels an acre. A uh, tentative date for pre-pile sugar beet harvest for American Crystal Sugar Company is August 15th. General agronomist Joe Hastings says they are working to firm that up. We're going to be taking some yield samples the next few weeks to kind of firm that up on a start date. Uh, we took our first samples uh, earlier this week. Typically, we'll see this first week that we take samples in July. Our long-term our average is about 12 tons per acre. And that's a look at weather this week in agriculture. I'm Sierra Doctor on the Red River Farm Network. Outlook Herbicide from BASF provides superior control of the toughest weeds. I think this, these residual chemistries in sugar beets are the way forward because as we've seen this water hemp footprint grow, some of these fields, they get pretty, pretty messy uh, mid to late season, and that's where this Group 15 chemistry, which Outlook is a part of, uh, going to be very instrumental in producing this crop moving forward. That's BASF District Sales Manager Ken Dybert. See your local retailer or BASF rep for more details. On air and online, the Red River Farm Network is reporting agriculture's business. RRFM.com has news headlines, weather, and markets, all as close as your PC or smartphone. The Red River Farm Network also keeps you up to date on Facebook and our weekly e-newsletter, FarmNet News. Sign up today at RRFM.com. From the farm field to Capitol Hill, from the tractor cab to the coffee shop, the Red River Farm Network reporting agriculture's business.